Thank you, sir. Good morning. I uh, wish you a good Memorial Day weekend. Um, believe it or not, Memorial Day weekend is not about barbecues. I have a hard time figuring that out, but it's not. It's about those who have uh, obviously served our country and for many of those who gave the ultimate sacrifice. So I hope you take some time um, just to remember that um, this is a great country and it's the, the freedoms that we enjoy to worship on Sunday as well as be part of, uh, of a community together um, that people died for that freedom. So um, we're grateful to them and grateful to you if you've served our country. Uh, my name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here at New City Church. And if you have uh, some plans uh, this afternoon, we'll try to get you out of here early so you can get to those and have some time together with friends and family. Uh, we do have next week and the week after that a children's ministry meeting. Um, I'm going to change up a little bit about what this meeting's about today, but I, I wanted to invite you, if you're serving in children's ministry, we would love for you. Um, it's kind of required, okay, in a church discipline sort of way. We're not going to hurt you, but we're just going to strongly encourage you to be at one of these meetings because we want to talk about our children's ministry and the impact that it is having um, in this particular neighborhood and or in this particular area of town. And uh, we have a lot of people to thank for that, including Tammy, uh, who, who recently uh, stepped away from the, the leadership of our children's ministry. She's done a great job building a fantastic foundation. Um, of course, the Lord builds the house, and we, we help him in that. But she's done a great job building that foundation. And we want to head into the fall and into the summer, but into the fall with, uh, with our ducks in a row, so to speak. So if you could be at that meeting, the 4th or the 11th, that would be great. If you have children in our church and you're not involved in serving in children's ministry, I would also like to invite you to be at one of those two meetings because we're talking about your children. Uh, Our philosophy of children's ministry is, hey, we have your kids for an hour. Well, three, if I get wordy, okay, on a Sunday. You have them um, all the other times of the week, right? I can't do the math that quick. I think it's 168, 168 hours a week. Is that right? Cole Dillman, can you help me out? Good. Okay. 168 minus two. So that's 165 hours that you have your kids during the week. And we want our church to be a place where parents feel equipped, feel empowered and equipped to lead their children and disciple them well. So we're going to talk a little bit about that at, at these meetings, and we'd love for you to be a part of that. So there's no RSVP needed, but please come on time because we do need to get quite a bit in, in a very short period of time, and we'd love for you to do that. Serving team openings, um, there's a ton of ways to serve in our church, whether it be our hospitality team, our welcome team, our children's ministry. Um, Please look at that, and if you're not serving and call this church your home, we'd love for you to get plugged into that. And then on the 18th, which is Father's Day, um, we're doing a child dedication. And I haven't heard, but I think 3,000 children have been born (laughs) recently in our church. And so it's going to be a long child dedication service. But if you want to dedicate your child, whether they're recently born or if you want to wait till the next one, we're going to start doing those more often. And so there will be one probably early in the fall, late summer, early fall. There's also going to be another baptism coming up in that same time frame. I'll talk about that in a second. But if you want to dedicate your child, um, we'd love for you to do that. But we need to know uh, that you're going to do that. It's a fun day. Please let Andy uh, know at the email address that's on there. Um, today we're doing kind of a standalone sermon and, uh, typically in the summer we've done some Psalms. We're going to do a Psalm today, Psalm 16 today. 
Um, but next week, we're going to start our new sermon series, and it's going to be in the book of Philippians. And that's going to take us through a good part of the summer. I don't know if we'll be able to get back to the Psalms or not. Uh, but Philippians is a book, a letter about joy. And it's about joy in spite of difficult circumstances. And I know that there are many of us, all of us, go through difficult times in our life. And so we're going to talk about joy uh, in that. One of the things that I want you to practice, and if you'd consider uh, this, I'm going to every Sunday give you some ideas on how to serve and love your neighbors throughout this summer. And the first uh, uh, little announcement that I have, or a little, uh, I don't know, commercial, let's call it a commercial that I have, uh, is this. Three, remember the, the, the number three, and then barbecues, okay? I want you to think about having three barbecues in your neighborhood. Now, here's a step-by-step way to do this, okay? Number one, if you don't have a barbecue, you're under church discipline, okay? And you need to get one immediately, okay? So you need a barbecue, okay? Or you need, and this is actually the second step, you need to find someone in this church body who you have a relationship with, friends with, that you could partner with in doing a barbecue in your neighborhood for the sake of just loving your neighbors. People who aren't going to show their face in the doors of our church, or maybe they're part of another church, but they're in a neighborhood and there's no connection with other followers of Christ. Um, This is really important, and I'm seeing maybe there's a need for this more and more in our body of people who are here on a Sunday and have very little connection to other people in the body of Christ, whether it be at this church or with others. So, number one, barbecue, get a barbecue. Number two, number two, partner with someone in the church. Don't do this by yourself. Um, Very few people... Uh, feel comfortable doing something along the lines of inviting strangers into their home. And they don't like doing that by themselves. I understand. I'm a, a little bit of an introvert. And so I understand that. But find someone to do this with. And then, okay, this is really important. You might want to watch a couple YouTube videos on how to barbecue whatever you're barbecuing, okay? If you don't have experience um, doing that, you might want to get a good recipe, get some food together. Supply food and drink for the people that you invite over. And then when the person comes up to you that may not know Christ, is a friend of yours but may not know Christ, and they say, these ribs are the best ribs I've ever had. Okay, I want you to tell them about Jesus in that moment. Okay, Uh, I say that a little facetiously, but my point is this. If you would do that once a month over the summer, and this is one suggestion I'm going to have multiple over the next couple of weeks, But if you would do that to spend your summer, not just maybe uh, consuming, I'm going to consume this summer. I'm going to go to a a beach, not technically a beach. I'm going to go to a lake that has sand on it. Okay. So not quite a beach, but I'm going to enjoy that. I'm going to enjoy time with my family. I'm going to enjoy getting out into the woods and into nature and camping. Uh, But I want to use some of my time to love and serve others. And that's one way to think about doing that. Um, With that also said, if you are not a part of a city group, or a fight club, or one of those two, or both, we would love for you to join one. Um, my, my heart aches thinking that people come here on a Sunday, and maybe you're visiting, maybe you've been here for a while, and you just don't find someone that you connect with, or a place to get plugged in, or have relationship. My heart aches for you because you're missing out, and we're going to talk a little bit about this in Psalms today, in the Psalm that we're looking at. You're missing out 
on um, one of the fuels, one of the engines that helps followers of Christ grow. And that is community with other believers and community actually with, with people who don't follow Christ. That We need those relationships. And if you don't have that here, we would love to plug you into a city group or help you um, get organized in a fight club or, or, or some way of getting to know some folks. So a couple things to keep in mind. Uh, that was quite a bit of a rambling about stuff that was on my heart today. I want you to stand with me and we're going to read together Psalm, uh, the 16th Psalm. And these are the words of God. Psalm 16, a miktam of David. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad. My whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Let's pray together. Father, uh, to me this feels like the start of summer. Um, This weekend it it always has. And many times um, we use this as kind of a way to disengage. Maybe from you, disengage from others. Just to pursue... um, some wonderful things that you've given us, but maybe pursue them with a heart that just uh, is discouraged and wants a break, wants to check out, wants to escape. I pray that the summer here at New City Church would be a summer of uh, generous blessing from you to us. Pray that as we dedicate children here in a few weeks that you would watch over that and that you would see those children and um, that you would guide those parents in this church to watch over and to nurture and to encourage and admonish those kids to love and follow Jesus Christ. I pray that as we um, do the summer activities that we're doing, that we would think about uh, those around us who enjoy those same things but don't have a relationship with God. They don't know the peace and the joy that we have if we have been saved by Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that um, as we approach a baptism service towards the end of the summer and as we think through what our summer should look like and the plans that we have, I pray that they would be overshadowed with the glory of God and the mission of God to evangelize and disciple those who don't know Christ. I pray for 10, because I'm weak, I pray for 10 people to come to know Jesus Christ through the life of this church this summer. My heart would cry out and say, give us 20 or 30 people who would learn about who Jesus is and would accept Him as Lord and Savior, would receive Him 
uh, would they, they would repent and believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior and that we could baptize them at the end of the summer. I pray that our ministry would be strong and dedicated to you. I pray that the words of my mouth this morning and the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing to you and we pray it in Jesus' name, amen. You can have a seat. So we're going to squeeze in a psalm. Uh, we typically have done several psalms in the summer. We're going to squeeze in this psalm today, and then we're going to go into Philippians next week. Uh, this particular psalm, I've heard it preached before, and it's one of my favorite psalms. Um, and like all of Scripture, there, there's some challenge there, but I think there's also a, a lot of peace, a lot of joy. There's a lot of uh, a strength that I feel and receive in my heart as a result of this psalm and reading it and understanding what it says. And if you remember, if you've been here like in the last uh, previous summers and we've talked about the Psalms, the Psalms are about two things. They're about your mind, so you're learning theological truths, but they're also about your heart and how those particular theological truths apply to your soul, how you live. The heart, as it says in Proverbs, is the center of your life. So there's emerging, many times through the life of David or the other Psalm writers, there's emerging of David's understanding of theology, a real experience or circumstance in his life, and then applying that theology to that circumstance, having his heart engaged in, in that theological or truth, uh, truthful understanding. So when I look at the Psalms, I think of it as the best counseling manual for when we suffer emotionally. If, if you are suffering emotionally, um, this is a great place for you to spend your summer reading the Psalms. I try to read the Psalms every single day. There is so much in there that helps me understand. Yeah, I know these truths, but my heart and my emotions, my feelings, my soul is here. How do those two things collide and how can I get those two things to, to interact with each other? So we want to focus our hearts on God and his blessing of who he is and we also want to talk a little bit today about the community of believers that God is giving us. And I want to ask you a question as you begin your summer season and you think about what your summer is going to entail. Um, let me ask you this. Who or what is ruling you today? Who or what is ruling you today? Is it money? Are your summer vacation plans kind of right around the corner and you're f trying to figure out, how am I going to pay for those plans? Okay, that, that might be ruling your thoughts, ruling your heart today. Is it a relationship? Their friends seem to be few and far between and someone that you thought you could trust has hurt you. And they're ruling you. This relationship is, is overcoming your heart and, and your soul and it's, it's ruling your life. Is it work? Is it work? Not enough hours in the day and the stress of work is beginning to break you down. Failures at work are beginning to negatively impact your heart and your soul, your emotions. Is it, is it negative emotions? Is there a general feeling of discouragement and you can't really put your finger on what it is? What is ruling you today? Now, I went through four things. Money, relationships, work, and negative emotions. Because that was my week. Okay? I... I was, and still can be, maybe even in this moment, I can be ruled by something other than the Lord. And David talks today in this psalm, and he really makes kind of a pro and con column of what life is like with God as ruler and without God as ruler of your life. 
So if you want to imagine that David is sitting down at his desk with his legal pad, how many of you done that pro-con column? I've made some pretty big decisions in life with the pro-con column. Um, I'm three for five um, in those decisions. We'll talk about, well, we won't talk about the two. We'll just, we'll stick with the three. It's a pro-con column. And when you look at this, David compares... And many times his psalms do this. They compare one thing to another. And this psalm be, is no exception. Um, this psalm lets us know that in life, there can only be one ruler. And the perfect person for that job is Jesus. There can only be one ruler. And the perfect person for that job is Jesus. Now when I say that there can only be one ruler, that is not like an opinion about life. That is a statement of fact that throughout your life, something is ruling you. I hope that it's Jesus. We'll talk about that. Uh, but many times it can be those other things. It can be worry and anxiety about life and wondering if God is really in control. And David in this psalm tells us that Jesus is the perfect person for the job of ruler over your life. Um, let me quickly mention, and we'll fly through through this, even though it's a, a, a decent length psalm. I, I want to fly through it relatively quickly and hit the high points. But I, I think a lot of us understand that Jesus saves us, but we don't understand that Jesus needs to be the Lord, the ruler of our life. So we come to Jesus and say, yes, I have sinned. I don't want to spend eternity separated from you. I want you to save me from my sin. I accept that. I receive that. Jesus saves you and you're saved. And then you go about your life with you on the proverbial throne, ruling your own life. David has um, some keen observations on what that can look like and some warnings that we need to avoid that at all costs and make sure that we keep Jesus as Lord and ruler of our life. So the first teaching is in verse one today. And I'm going to kind of work through this passage, maybe in a different way. There's going to be a lot of different places where our I'll stop and talk a little bit. But uh, the first thing is here in verse 1 when he says, Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. If you have hung around me for any length of time, I have a saying. And my son can probably quote this to me. If he can't, he's in a lot of trouble. Um, he's sitting in the back there. Wink, wink, nod, nod. Um, leadership. What is it? What is leadership? Leadership is taking responsibility for things that aren't your fault. Okay, I used a contraction in there, so let me say it a little bit without that because it could be confusing. I don't want you to hear different. Okay, leadership. Taking responsibility for things that are not your fault. The classic example in Scripture is Job when his kids go off and party and disobey, you know, all of the Ten Commandments and thumb their nose at the Lord and Job because he's a righteous man takes responsibility for speaking to God about them and saying, Hey God, my kids are misbehaving. They're breaking the law of God. They're doing things they shouldn't be. I want you to take uh, that responsibility and place it on me. And I come before you as the father responsible for his children. So the reason I say that quote a lot is because I want fathers to take responsibility for things that aren't their fault because I don't want them to be like Adam, abdicating, being passive, and being apathetic about their responsibilities. So I say that saying a lot. And I use that saying in my own life as a whip 
to kind of scourge me into submission to what I know I should be doing. Um, That is probably not the best way to use that understanding of leadership because I am limited in my capacity to take uh, responsibility for things that are not my fault. I can't explain to you why the Broncos were, what, 8-8 eight and eight last year? Okay? What a joke season that was after the Super Bowl win. And I wanted to, you know, step in and say, hey, I got a couple plays, you know? I might, might be able to help you all out. Um, I can't take responsibility for everything that's not my fault. And so there is a limit to my capacity to be responsible for my life. And in the spiritual sense, in the sense of how do we grow, I have zero ability or control over that. I need to be submissive to God and take refuge in Him because everyone needs someone to keep watch and guard over them. In the ultimate sense, excuse me, everybody needs someone to watch over their life and guard over them. And so... Why that's a great saying, I really need God to, number one, preserve me, and number two, to take refuge in Him, because I can't control it all. I can control very little. I would say to you that not only can you not control how you get saved, in other words, you can't behave your way into more love from God, okay, Jesus died on the cross proving His ultimate love for you, but you cannot grow You can't be saved without God's grace and His mercy. And you cannot grow without God's sovereign reign and rulership over your life. And so David asks God for his sovereign watch over his life and his soul. Because he knows, as a king even, he can't control. He has a limited capacity. And he says this, the reason I need you, God, is because, number one, I'm going to sin. I'm going to sin. I actually heard a pastor on a podcast, I don't know, this week or last, say to someone that he is sinless. Now that he's a follower of Christ, he's sinless. And there is a verse in the Bible that clearly says, if you claim to have sin, or excuse me, if you claim to be without sin, you're calling God a liar. David knows, even as a person who God says is after his own heart, he knows he's going to sin. So he says, God, watch over my life. Because I'm going to try to destroy it. I'm going to do foolish things, stupid things, things that are mistakes but still sin. Okay, I'm going to do all of those things. I'm going to sin. Please watch over my life. Secondly, uh, David wants his sovereign watch over his life because he's going to fail. He's going to fail. I... Uh, you know, there's a famous radio broadcaster that says he's right 99.97% of the time. Um, that is a joke, okay? I think it's more like baseball, right? It's more like a baseball thing where if you hit over 300, you're doing really well. So 70% of the time, you're going to fail. Now, it, it's a little bit... Um, uh, the analogy doesn't totally translate super well but we're going to fail right and it's not just fail in terms of sin but just life is going to have times where you don't achieve what you thought you were going to achieve you're not going to you know be with the person that you thought you were going to be with you're not going to have the relationship that you thought you were going to have you're not going to have the money that you thought you were going to have you're going to fail your goals and dreams young people check into this okay 
Proverbs talks about this. Your goals and dreams to be a rock star might not come true. Life is kind of like a grind. And there is a lot of failure over and over and over again. If you want to know in my life what my failures are, you can talk to my family. They'll give you the run. Actually, they won't because they know they'd be in trubs. Um, But I'm going to fail. God, watch over my life because I'm going to sin and I'm going to fail. He also asked for his sovereign watch over his life and soul because he's going to get hurt. I can think of times, and they're not a lot, but I can think of times where I was so hurt by another person or a circumstance that happened in my life that I felt almost a physiological change. Have have you been hurt to that extent? Of course, we know our hurts don't compare to how Christ was was hurt on the cross for, for us. But we're going to get hurt. David says, I'm going to get hurt. God, watch over my life and my soul. He says, please preserve and guard me because only you can do this in the ultimate sense. I know some super gifted administrative people and they know how to do all the Excel stuff. You guys know what I'm talking about? Who is an Excel wizard? I'm not going to like, oh, Caleb. I can use you as an illustration because I know you, okay? I know guys that just love those Excel spreadsheets. And I, I know a guy who literally, I think it's magic how he does Excel. I don't think it's like logic or anything. I think he just has a magical spell over what he can do to organize everything using his Excel spreadsheets and, and to be in control of his life. I know, guys, this is crazy. Like, there's a football coach who talks about this, and I hate to bring up football all the time, but it's coming. <laughs> we're almost to summer, man. It's spring training's over. Now we're going to summer practices. Okay. I know a coach who has every day for three years Mapped out in 15-minute increments. Okay? That, that's borderline insanity to me. Like, I, I think after church is over, I'm going to go watch a baseball game today and probably eat. That's usually what my Sundays include, okay? Baseball and eating. But I'm not sure. You can't get me into 15-minute increments. Maybe I should be more organized, but... We tend, especially in our culture, to want to control every aspect of our life and to plan it out and to say, God, I want you to save me, but don't rule over me because I have a plan. My plan includes this tomorrow, this the next week, in five years this, in ten years that. I'm going to have it all written down. It's going to be my plan. And would you please save me? Thank you for doing that. But now I want you to be the engine that makes all of my control dreams come true. David, a wise man, says, in the ultimate sense, I am completely out of control and I need your sovereign watch over my life and soul. Otherwise, otherwise we'll get to it. Okay, here we go. Second, how is Jesus qualified for his sovereign guard and watch over my life? Verse two, we'll pick up the speed here pretty quick. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. How is Jesus qualified? 
there is no good apart from him. And it's really interesting. These uh, two words, Lord and Lord, are two different descriptions they used in the English translation. They use the Lord for both of them. The first one is Yahweh. Okay, Jehovah. You've heard that word before. And the second Lord in this verse is Adonai. A-D-O-N-A-I. Adonai. Okay, so we have to understand what those mean to understand what, what David is saying here. Yahweh is a reference, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> to the one true covenant-keeping God. So he says, I say to the Lord, okay, the one true covenant-keeping God, then he says, you are my Adonai. You are my ruler and master. You are the one who is worthy of my worship. You are majestic. Literally, uh, Adonai has this sense of, you are the one that I put on the pedestal. Okay, that's why when I was in college, they used this diagram of me sitting on the throne of my life versus the Lord sitting on the throne of my life and being my ruler, my Lord, my, my majestic um, uh, one worthy of worship. Uh, it's, it's this picture of who is on the pedestal. Okay? Who is the one that you are worshiping? What is the thing that you are worshiping? A lot of times, when we're not sensing the vibrancy of our relationship with the Lord, the one that we are serving is us. We're on the pedestal. Um, we, we, we do that in all sorts of different ways. Can't go into too many examples, but you get the point. The one that's put on the pedestal is the one who you worship. And David says, God, Lord, the, the Yahweh covenant-keeping one true God, you are the one who I'm going to put on the pedestal. And this is a statement of the fact and reality of what happens when you become a follower of Christ. David is saying, this is what is true for my heart and soul. You're my ruler, and it's rooted in speaking to the one true covenant-keeping God. In other words, David is saying this. I've seen a lot of other rulers. I've seen a lot of other things that can take over my uh, time and attention and, and focus of worship. Right? It, it could have been the woman that he slept with and had her husband killed on the battlefield. Right? He's gone down that path. He's gone down the path of power, of riches, of all of these things... And he said, you're the one person who keeps his word. Because all the other things I chase have not kept their word. They promised great things, but you're the only one who has kept your promise. You're the only Lord who has, has done exactly what he said you're going to do. And because of that, you're going to be the one I put on the pedestal and the, the natural reality of putting something on a pedestal is that you bow down into submission to that particular thing. So David is wise in his understanding of who God is. And because of that, he knows he can be submissive to God. You can only rebel against the truth so long before you will figure it out. That's why, in spite of the fact that the numbers in America show that less than anywhere from, depending on what city you're in, in cities, urban environments, less than 5% of the population, and it's declining, less than 5% of the population is evangelically Christian. I'm not talking about a person who comes to a non-denominational church. 
I'm talking about a person who understands that Jesus has saved them, that they are nowhere near God unless Jesus puts them near to God through a relationship with Him, and that they want to follow Christ and be His disciple. Evangelical Christian. Less than 5% in urban areas, in cities, believe that. So, I, I can get discouraged about that. If you want to know how I get discouraged, you can talk to one of our elders, because I... You know, I have my little pity parties about, oh, what's going on? I'm kind of like, was it Elijah who complained that there was no one around and he was all by himself? And then God said, hey, dude, relax. I got 3,000. Okay, you're okay. There's other people that are trying to fight the good fight. But I can get discouraged. But I know that the truth of God is going to win the day. That there are going to be, and I think we're on the verge of this in our culture, we're going to start seeing people come to the end of their pedestal, whoever it is or whatever it is that's on it, they're going to come to the end, they're going to see that the promises have been broken, and they're going to come running to the Lord. Now, uh, sometimes unbelievers or people who don't follow Christ or don't know about the whole Christian thing, when they hear me say stuff like that, they might think, well, you made the right choice, so you must be perfect um, and superior to me. And that isn't the case at all. David is not perfect nor superior because he gives credit and says Jesus has saved him and given him life and, and he has given him rulership. He is ruling over his life. Let's go to verse 3. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. Okay, David, reflecting back on his words where it says, there is no good apart from you, and that's why I'm going to make you my ruler, make you my Lord. He says, when I look at the other followers of God in the land, it is a testimony to, to the fact that I need to follow you as Lord and ruler of my life because those people are a delight. Wow. Do you think of your church? Do you think of the people that you know are followers of Christ, that you hang out with, that you spend time with, that you most importantly are on mission with? Do they bring you delight? Because if the answer to that is no, I would ask you to look at yourself. Are you a bringer of delight? After maybe many years of following Jesus Christ, is your church community all about you? Is it all about what they can do for you and you're not sensing any delight and it's because you're not contributing, you're not serving, you're not using your gifts and your abilities in the church community to bring delight because in that we know from each other that Jesus should be the ruler. If you've ever hung out with a follower of Christ who is dialed in to knowing who the Lord is and the Lord is guiding them and and the love that exudes from their heart, it, it gives you a sense of delight. It's, it gives you a sense of encouragement that you want to follow, that you want to continue in this thing called the church, in the community, the saints in the land, as David puts it. You want to continue in that. Now, David knows that Jesus should be the Lord by looking at the life of those who have submitted to Jesus' lordship. Now, there's two things that I want to mention. There is the pain, and, and I think, uh, I wouldn't use the word epidemic. I would use the word 
just uh, anecdotal reality, okay? I don't know how those even are connected, but hang with me. I still have a little cold, okay? The pain... uh, Okay, so you see the saints in the land, they give you delight. Conversely, there is pain watching those who are what Scripture calls carnal Christians. Carnal, okay? Chili con carne, flesh, okay? Those who are governed and ruled by their flesh, okay? How you approach your church can reveal whether you're being led by the Lord and submitted to the Lord and wanting to serve and love as the Lord has called you to, or whether even in your church community you're being ruled by the flesh, And the pain in dealing with those who are carnal Christians, first of all, they have pain. Uh, A wise man once told me in college, the most miserable place for a Christian to live is in their carnality, being governed by the flesh. They know Jesus has saved them, but they're going to do everything their own way and live according to the, the way that they feel they should live. That's pain for them. But it's also pain... For those who are in your church community, it's not delight. Now, that can sound maybe like a little bit of an arm twist to say, hey man, submit to the Lord. I'm just saying the pain is real. The pain is real. And, and for those who are living that way and for those who are watching others live that way, we want to go from the pain to a sense of delight. Because the second thing that I say there is joy in those who are submitted to the Lord or directed and empowered by the Holy Spirit. Man, that's, that's a joyful thing. Even in sin, that's a joyful thing because you have people who come to you and say, hey man, I care enough. If I could change one thing, because I've learned a lot in this thing, and, and I'm no... They call me a pastor, but I'm pro- I feel like I'm just a Joe Christian trying to help other people, okay? So... One thing that that always boggles my mind is the lack of communication that followers of Christ um, don't have with each other. Lack of, don't, that's a double negative. So that, okay. The lack of communication that followers of Christ have with each other. Like as it, this is how it plays itself out in my life. I'm walking along and, you know, I hear about X, Y, or Z person. Um, that has an issue, maybe with me or with someone else in the church, and they've just vanished. No, no communication of coming to that person and saying, hey, you know what? Um, you said this, and it really hurt my feelings. Or you did this, and I think that was a sin against me, but I'm not sure I want to kind of do that Matthew 18 thing where we come and talk to each other about what's going on in our lives. See, that is delight. No other persons in the planet living in different religions or philosophies have that as a, as a way to spread delight that Christians can come and reconcile their differences with each other. That is delightful. David isn't saying that everything is hunky-dory. He's saying that those who are submitted to the Lord, directed and empowered by the Holy Spirit, are, 
are people who reconcile stuff with each other and that is delightful because there is a lack of reconciliation on the planet. Uh, Part of the fruit of the church uh, of living in this way, living as with Jesus as Lord and ruler, is that we're going to build one another up as we submit to Jesus as ruler and Lord. And practical things are going to happen. You're going to be generous with your time and with your treasure. Jesus says, where your money is, that is where your heart is also. So when, when we see Jesus being Lord and ruler, we don't give out of guilt and obligation of our time and our, and our treasure. We give out of the overflow and as, a, as a, a tribute to the God who has saved us and who is Lord and ruler over our life. Second practical thing that would happen is there be a, a commitment and a sense of loyalty. Jesus teaches us to stick closer than even our biological family. Jesus says that he is the friend that sticks closer than a brother. That's the kind of relationships that you have with with a group of people who have made Jesus the ruler and Lord of their life. There is a delight in the commitment and loyalty that there are people who are closer to you than even your biological family. If you don't have that relationship... We need to know. The leadership would love to help you find those relationships or places where those relationships can be developed. Now, I will say this. We can't, like, be an app, you know, called Rent-A-Friend, okay? Like, I'm not socially skilled. My wife could probably do this. She could find friends for everybody in the church. I don't think that's as healthy as, uh, uh, as we would like for it to be. Sometimes making friends and having relationships in the church is exposing yourself and saying, Hey man, um, I know your name. I've talked to you. I, you know, I've, I've asked you your name 14 times because I forgot it 14 weeks in a row. But I know your name now. Hey, would you like to you know, hang out? Would you like to get our families together for a barbecue? Would you like to you know, go to the mountain? I mean, developing relationships, commitment and loyalty. Lord, the, Jesus being Lord of your life. We see those depth of relationships happening when Jesus rules lives. Now, David, and i got to really wrap this up quick. David says there's an alternate way to live from this. He says this, The sorrows of those who run after another god shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. Multiplied sorrow is promised for those who run after another god. Small g. I looked at the language of this in this phrase, run after. This is a phrase that describes uh, those who want to cheat on their spouse. God sees putting something other than Him on the pedestal as a serious breach of a covenant promise comparable to adultery. Heartbreaking to God like it would be heartbreaking to a spouse. Now, why is chasing another God such sorrow? Well, God in Exodus says that we should have no other gods before Him. He says that actually throughout Scripture. He says judgment is chasing after other gods and betraying our Lord and Savior. Judgment isn't the consequences of chasing another God. Chasing another God is judgment. And he says, judgment 
is sorrowful and multiplied. Have you had that feeling? Multiplied means overwhelming, complicated, too numerous to deal with. Have you been snowed under by your sorrows because you have chased another God? I have. I can guarantee you story after story sitting in this room right now of those who have had overwhelming, complicated, and too numerous sorrows to deal with in their life because they chased another God. Now he ends with this. That's the alternative way to live. Here's the right way to go. The blessings of Jesus um, that are given to those who make Him the ruler of their life. I'm going to read uh, these verses quick and just point out a couple things. Number five, the Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. This is the way I put this. Things seem to work out in this life. And we are guaranteed they will work out in the life to come for those who make Jesus their ruler. Now, there's a trap in what I just said. This is the trap. When I say things seem to work out in this life, you have an idea of how things should work out in your life. And you say, if I make Jesus the ruler of my life, they will go exactly according to my plan. That is not what will happen. That is not what will happen. What will happen is the things in your life, the circumstances that you think are beyond uh, hope, beyond your strength to cope with, God will teach you why He took you through those things and you will be a better person for it. That's how I mean things will seem to work out in this life. Uh, There's a lot of decisions that I've made in my life where I'm like, Lord, I think you want me to do this. And I think I'm going to be absolutely miserable. And sure enough, I did it and I was absolutely miserable. And I look back on it and I say, you know what? Had that not happened, this other thing wouldn't have come to view. Had this not gone that way, this thing wouldn't have worked itself out. I see the glory of God in throwing up my hands and saying, I can't control it. You can Do what you want. I'll try to be obedient by the direction and power of your Holy Spirit. I'll try to walk in your way. I'll try to obey what you asked me to do. And He will work it out in this life. But most importantly, we are guaranteed that they will work out in the life to come. You get a beautiful inheritance. The word beautiful is indicative of the trumpet sound. Have you heard a trumpet sound? My dad used to wake us up in the morning, actually in the summer in Estes Park, I would hear this, and it was beautiful, but it was loud and obnoxious. Okay, think of your inheritance as a beautiful but loud and obnoxious, overwhelming inheritance. Like beyond your wildest dreams, inheritance. Like you thought you were going to get, you know, the, the brand new Chevy Suburban. He's got the Mercedes for you. Okay, not literally overwhelming when you see jesus face to face your inheritance is going to be beautifully obnoxious loud and proud is what i wrote in my notes i bless the lord who gives me counsel in the night also my heart instructs me i've set the lord always before me because he is at my right hand 
I shall not be shaken. When you make Jesus the ruler of your life, when Jesus is ruling your life, you have a strength in wisdom. God's wisdom will keep you from being shaken. You have the perfect guide for life in Jesus Christ. We are called to listen and obey. And to many, that seems like radical obedience. Paul, in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, says it's the rational thing to do. To be obedient to God, to bow down and worship to God, is the rational thing to do. He calls it your spiritual act of worship. That means the rational thing to do. It isn't radical. It's the only rational thing to do, to trust His wisdom. And he ends, Therefore, my heart is glad, my whole being rejoices, my flesh also dwells secure. For <clears throat> you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. When Jesus is the ruler of your life, you get eternity in the presence of the Lord. David describes it two ways. Fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. Fullness of joy is a perpetual state of joy. It's, it's that thing that you probably long for the most in your life. I wish I could just wake up and be happy. I wish I could just wake up and have a full day where nothing goes wrong and I just feel, not I, I act, okay, but I feel a, a presence of joy in my life. There's been days actually where I've had that happen. They've, they've been few and far between, but they've given me a glimpse of what's to come. And then he says, pleasures. You will have perpetual pleasures, tangible enjoyments. One of the things that it says we will do in eternity is sit at a banquet table. Some argue that it's not a real banquet table. I'm arguing it's a real banquet table. You're going to have steak and shrimp cocktail, if that's your thing. Or whatever it is, there will be pleasures. Some are described in scriptures, some are left to the imagination, the mysteries of God that we'll never understand until we're there. But you will have a fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. So the question is, will you submit to Jesus as Savior and Lord today? If so, you can come to the communion table and you can remember His body broken for you, His blood that was shed for you for the forgiveness of sins and to have the right to rule your life because something will. Let's pray. Jesus, we're thankful um, for the blessings that we have in Christ. Notably, our, our inevitable destination to be in your presence forever. But we also get blessings here and in this world, in this life, and we're thankful for those. But they're clouded sometimes with discouragement, with isolation. Pray God today that maybe as one action point that people who don't uh, have a connection of relationships in this church would see that that is what God has provided to us. One of the things that He's provided to us to help us, to equip us, to grow us. That we would be committed and loyal 
that we would want to serve rather than to be served. As we come to this table, let us remember what you've done for us. Thank you for ruling our lives. You are the only one worthy of our worship. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.